Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to Girl Next Door podcast. It's Renee. Really happy again to be with you all. If you would like to support this podcast, do you know what you can do? Guys, could you go along to Apple Podcast and write a five-star written review? That would be super, super helpful for those that want to know how you can continue to support Girl Next Door, and I appreciate it so much. Now, I know what's going to happen today, guys. I know what's going to happen because I've said that today is especially for the girls. It's literally like no boys allowed. I know what's going to happen. All the boys are coming in to go, what are they talking about? But I don't know how long you guys can last on this topic today. It's another installment of my pop psychology collection. And maybe I'm talking about something that you never, ever thought could be associated with pop psychology, but I'm going to show you today that it is. And I'm really actually, I don't like using the word excited all the time, but I'm actually really excited about trying to change some narratives today around the widespread myths that us girls have put up with literally centuries when it comes to puberty, PMS, even pregnancy and menopause. So that's that's the topic for today, girls only. I don't know if I've already lost the boys. They heard those words and went, I'm out. But you know what? If you've got a girlfriend, uh, no, maybe not a girlfriend. Let's go fiance. If you've got a fiance or a wife, you might want, or if you even just want to know more about females and how we tick, maybe keep listening. We have an entire gender that has many, many times been stigmatized because of our biology. And I'm going to take you through the history today. Uh, I'm going to take you through culture. And then I'm going to land in, I, I really want you to hold tight and make sure you listen to everything that we have to say today, because I am really think that this is going to help so many of you. So how does this fit in with pop psychology? How does puberty, PMS, perimenopause and menopause fit in with psychology? Well, Psychology has definitely led the way and shaped this narrative. It's been more a psychological issue over the centuries than a physical one, and I'll prove this to you in just a moment. And the way that we've told girls to view puberty, PMS, hormones, menopause has always been a narrative that has changed over time. So our cycles as girls, you know what I'm talking about, okay? I don't want to go using all those other words today. Let's just call it cycles. They've never been just a physical part of us, but we've really been assigned all sorts of psychological ideologies around this. And I'm talking, I don't know if you've heard the word hysteria before, but girls centuries ago were labeled and literally diagnosed with hysteria all the way through to PMS. Now, an article that I read recently actually proposed that there's been a trend of psychologizing premenstrual symptoms. What do you reckon? Let me say that again. There's been a trend for a long, long time of psychologizing premenstrual symptoms. So I'm talking about the idea that women, due to our reproductive biology, are pathologically apparently emotional and thus have a reduced capacity for reason. 
And there's been so many reasons given for this, which we're going to go through. Now, our cycles have been seen as anything from spiritual to shameful, from natural to needing to be medicated, which of course is the line that we are hearing a lot more these days because there's a whole industry out there to be making money out of us girls. And I'm really glad to be talking to you about this because I want to see if we can look at puberty, PMS, hormones, menopause from a whole other perspective. Because I don't think, I don't believe that we should have to be at the mercy of the pop psychology of the day. So when it comes to this topic, it really does depend on what time in history that you were born as to how we've been led to believe about this topic. Now, there's been a pervading premise at the core of this narrative, and that is that somehow women are, I'll use the word ill, somehow we're ill, whether that be physically or emotionally, because simply of our biology, because we have wombs. And there's been a widespread assumption that is centuries old, that if ill health is caused by the womb in some women, then all women are ill just by virtue of having a womb. Now, I want to share something with you today that has been an actual revelation and a game changer for me personally, and I have no doubt that it will be for you also. Girls, I want you to share this with a friend. Um, Now, I do not believe that God has designed us to suffer every month or to suffer with each new season that we find ourselves in, whether that be puberty or pregnancy or menopause, whatever it is. But first, before I go there and tell you this mind-blowing, like it's actually so simple, but so profound, what I want to do is look back a little bit at the historical and cultural contexts that have influenced our worldview on hormones and puberty and PMS and menopause. Now, our cycles have been labeled, like I said before, anything from you know spiritual to shameful, natural to medical, and the social implications have also ranged so much from, you know, back in the Jewish biblical times, women had to be separated from men when they were on their on their cycle because they were seen as unclean. Um, I will even explain to you in a minute, and this will blow your mind, but our monthly cycles were actually used as an argument against the women's suffragette movement on why we shouldn't be allowed to vote. Did you know that? there's going to be so many moments like that today. You're going to go, you've got to be kidding. Now, I know that um, all of the people that listen to Girl Next Door, I've actually got a range of ages, which is why I'm really excited to be talking about everything from puberty right through to menopause, because I've got uh, teenagers who listen. I've got young adults who listen all the way to through to women in their 50s. So girls, There is something in this for all of us. And I want to talk not only into the season that you're in, but it's a really good idea for us to always help prepare ourselves for the next season to come. And so I want to, this might be the first and the last time that you hear this different narrative today on all of these different areas of our lives. And that's why I want you to hold on and I want you to listen. 
um, because it's going to help you for every single season, no matter what. And I think if you can adopt this mindset I want to talk about today, if you can adopt it for life, it is going to help you so much. I'm so excited to share it with you. Now, I've been doing my own research and I've found some voices in this space that have literally made so much sense to me that I never, ever, ever girls in a million years plan to talk about puberty, PMS, hormones, and menopause on this podcast. But when I came across these voices and it made so much sense and it was so freeing and hope made so much hope for me, I was like, girls, I've got to share it with you as well. And what I've been reading about and listening to has literally transformed my thinking. And it's probably given me a bit of confidence actually in, in some things that I thought were the case, but now I feel like someone else has voiced it. Now, I'm in my very late 40s and you know our algorithm on our phone. Oh my gosh, our phones know how old we are, right? So I'm constantly getting these annoying ads about hormonal weight gain and menopause solutions and medications and supplements and people telling their depressing stories. I literally scroll past those things so fast. I'm like, don't box me because you think you know my age algorithm. Um, But seriously, in my mind, I'm like, are you kidding me? So I've just got a, a, a horrible future to look forward to. In my gut, I knew that there had to be a better way. So I know that this is going to help you either for something you're going through or to help prepare you. But let's start with the history because this is fascinating. We really have to understand the history of women's bodies and how they've been viewed to understand the present. Now, like I said a moment ago, there have been presumptions that have lasted centuries and have informed the narrative on women's health. And what happens is we tend to only see things in the narrow passage of time that we live in. And we think that what the narrative is right now, that that is the truth and that that is the only narrative that has only ever been around. And that's why I'm like, girls, we've got to ask questions about everything because we're only seeing the little snippet of history. Um, So let me give you an example. Do you know that PMS, right? We all know what PMS is, premenstrual syndrome. That is just a concept that we just are like, oh yeah, we've heard, of course, everyone suffers from that. That's been around forever. Not true. Do you know PMS is a relatively new idea, but we take it as gospel and we think that it's been around for millennia. So it really does depend on the time and the culture that we've been born into. And um, us girls have always had quite a bad rap when it comes to anything to do with hormones and our cycles and the way that they've been viewed for a long time. So let's go right back, rewind, 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 right back to the third century. Now, the Greek physician, there was a Greek, but by the way, by the way, it's going to blow your mind. We can even read about menopausal women, for example, in the Bible, right? So of course, this is going to track back even further, but I'm going to start in the third century. There was a Greek physician in the, in the third century BC who became responsible for advances in gynecology. Now his name is Herophilus. I think I'm saying that wrong. It looks right. It's the word hero and then Phyllis, so Herophilus. Now, this guy, he helped us out a little bit. 
it was thought that he was the first one to actually describe the ovaries and the fallopian tubes in in a medical um, journal or whatever they had back then. And he was the first one to actually give these Greek names, right? Appropriate Greek names on these medical textbooks. Now, what happened before that? Well, physicians used to describe female anatomy with euphemisms that meant shameful parts. Can you believe that? So physicians back in the day actually referred to us women as and our and all of our reproductive organs and parts as shameful, shameful parts. So thank goodness for Herophilus. He really was a hero that he renamed it properly. Now the word menstruation, sorry to say that word if you're a guy and you're listening, you're like, oh, but you know what? This is life. This is life, guys. The word menstruation, you might not know comes from the Latin word mensis, which means month, right? Which makes sense, once a month. Now, that's also related to the Greek word mene, M-E-N-E, which means moon. So that's why they picked the word mensis, because it was connected to the word month, but also to the word moon. So in ancient Greece, our menstrual cycle was considered a cosmic event, and that it was connected to the moon, to the lunar cycle, and to the tides. Now, women were thought to be at the height of their spiritual and mental power at this time. I like that. Maybe we need to go back to ancient Greece. I think they had it right. Um, I like that take, but we don't really hear a lot about that. Now, others had less favorable views. Like Aristotle, he actually viewed women as, I quote, unfinished males. Can you believe that? Thanks, Aristotle. We were unfinished males. Now, There was a concept, and I mentioned it before, known as female hysteria, right? And girls were actually diagnosed with this all the time as a disorder, and it originated in ancient Greece, so this is the bad part of ancient Greece, and it stuck around for a long, long time. Like We're talking even throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, it was the most commonly diagnosed disorder, female hysteria. Now, this was the notion that women were somehow predisposed to mental and behavioral conditions. And guess where the word hysteria came from, girls? It came from the word hysteria, which means womb. In other words, if you had a womb, you had a hysteria and you would most likely suffer from hysteria. Pretty um, bad. Talk about labels. Now, Hippocrates and Plato, this is wild. They thought that the womb wandered around the female body, causing an array of physical and mental conditions. Can you can you actually believe they thought that the womb just like wandered around and wherever your issues were, well, it must be because your womb is wandering past your mind or it's wandering past your back because you got a sore back or whatever your symptoms were. Now, women were also described um, with this hysteria as suffering emotional instability, and I quote, subject to sudden changes with great sensibility of the soul. Now, there was more to hysteria, but a huge part of it um, was to do with our cycle, but it was definitely to do with the fact that we had a womb. Now, fast forward a little bit in time, we come to the work of Freud, Sigmund Freud, and hysteria morphed into the notion of neurosis. So uh, again, a psychological idea pinned to a biological issue, but it was so powerful that this is what became one of the main arguments against the women's suffrage, which was our right to vote. 
And it was that all women were mentally unfit to make an informed and rational decision because they suffered things like neurosis because they had a womb. Then comes the concept of PMS. I told you PMS has not always been around. The symptoms, of course, we know range from bloating, migraines, headaches, fatigue, anxiety, depression, irritability, all sorts of stuff. Now, that term never actually became a thing until 1980. Can you believe that? We're talking 1980. Now, it was in the medical literature since the 30s, but it wasn't commonly used like it is now. Now, the reason it rose in the 1980s is partly due to a murder trial. So for all my crime-loving junkies out there, there was a murder trial in Britain where two women received reduced sentences because the defense team were able to argue that whatever it was that they, like the murder that they committed was due to their severe PMS. And so PMS began to be recognized because their trial, their, um, their, what do you call it? Their sentence was reduced because of it. So up until these murders, PMS was reported in medical journals as a minor hormonal problem. But then after that, everyone's like, yeah, I've got PMS. Let's blame it for everything. Now, the number of medical articles devoted to PMS after the trials skyrocketed and it was then considered a serious menstrual issue. Now, feminists rightfully became concerned about this medicalization of normal menstrual rhythms, and they were really concerned about the social implications. But despite that, didn't matter what the feminists said, PMS became really popular. Now, I'm sure most of you ladies, probably the guys, would agree that there still are social implications, right? Like if you get a bit angry about something, you're a bit like, you know, short-tempered, I bet your bottom dollar, we've all had people say to us, oh, it must be the time of the month, of which you feel like punching them in the face. Um, so there you go. That's the history of that. Well, look, Let's look at culturally, because not only does it depend on the time in history, that we've been born, but actually the culture that we've been born into. So I won't go through too much here, but there were mythical tales of ancient culture have varied um, on the narrative around our cycles, being anything from it being a sacred gift to a, um, sorry, to being sacred to a gift from God or even punishment for sin but it was almost always viewed as magical and powerful, okay, culturally. Now, due to the connection of our cycles to the moon, many cultures believe that women could harness great spiritual power. And of course, religions have come into it as well, um, often seeing it as uh, making the woman unclean, right? Such as the biblical times in Jewish culture, where the woman had to be separated from the men. Now, this is going to surprise you. Not only is PMS a recent historical um, concept, it's also a cultural one. Now, this will really shock you that most people, most experts argue that PMS is actually a Western culture-bound syndrome. So it mostly exists in the West. So it doesn't appear in other cultures. It's culture-specific And there was an article posted about this in the Journal of Culture, Medicine and Psychiatry in 1987 that PMS, according to many, has actually gained cultural currency 
and that women, because of this, often now expect to have PMS symptoms. Isn't that amazing? So it is said to have been socially constructed and studies have been done to reflect this. So in these studies, women were who were misled to believe that they were premenstrual, but they weren't. I don't know how they did these studies, but apparently they actually experienced more symptoms of PMS than those who were actually premenstrual, but who were misled to believe they were not. The power of the mind. Now, let me quote as well from this article. In other cultures, for example, menstruation has a more positive meaning and is described in positive terms. It's not thought of as a debilitating condition that needs medical treatment. So there you go. Now, let's look at the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization survey indicates that menstrual cycle related complaints, except for cramps, are most likely to be reported by women who live in Western Europe, Australia and North America. Data collected from women in Hong Kong and mainland China indicate that the most commonly reported premenstrual symptoms are fatigue, water retention, pain, and increased sensitivity to cold. And apparently American women have different symptoms again, and Chinese women rarely report negative effect. So it really depends on the culture that you live in as well as the time. Now let's have a quick word about puberty. I haven't got too much time to sit on this one because I think we need to explore this uh, more in an episode of its own. But my biggest observation is that we increasingly, increasingly have a younger generation being conditioned to, to um, being adverse to discomfort. So if, if I look at puberty back in the 80s or the 90s, when I was growing up in the 80s, right? There was not a lot of like um, negative emotion associated with it. It was kind of a bit like, it is what it is. You might cry a little bit more. You might feel a bit uncomfortable, but everyone goes through it. You'll be right, toughen up. That was kind of like our childhood. But now we've got this generation in this um, kind of current culture and time in history where they're very adverse to being made to be uncomfortable. And so we spent, uh, you know, a whole childhood trying to make their life as comfortable as possible and their emotions as comfortable as po- possible. And then puberty hits. And we all know that puberty is uncomfortable, right? You feel weird in your own skin. You feel like the odd one out. Your body's doing weird things. And all of this is happening in plain sight for the whole world to see. Now, this is what I believe is now the premise for a lot of this gender identity ideology, which we all know is um, becoming a social contagion among younger teenagers. There was a really good show on 7 Plus a couple of weeks ago called The Gender Agenda. If you haven't watched it, jump on and watch it. It was really good. But this is what we're seeing. It's like, oh, are you uncomfortable in your body? Well, of course they are. Nearly every 12, 13 or 14-year-old girl and boy is uncomfortable. And so, you know, puberty is universal. Discomfort is normal. And so it's a, it's a real worry that we have a generation who's no longer being pushed to do hard things and their emotional resilience is going down. And this is where we see a rise in young people that are like, well, I'm uncomfortable, so maybe the answer is that I change my gender. Let's uh, let's quickly touch on perimenopause and menopause. Um, now, some of you might not have heard the word perimenopause because, again, 
this is fairly new. The the whole uh, definition of, of menopause has actually changed. Um, it used to encompass the entire time of like your cycle becoming irregular and the hot flushes and right up until the time where, where your period stops and all of that stuff. But now they've separated it and you've got perimenopause, which is like pre-menopause, where the body's starting to wind down, it's prepping for menopause. Um, and I'll explain to you the symptoms in a minute. It's literally so depressing. But you're not considered to be in menopause until you haven't had a cycle, um, a menstrual cycle for 12 months. But of course, you don't know that until the 12 months has been and gone. And then you're like, oh, now I'm in menopause. But that whole time leading up is called perimenopause. What's the narrative around this? It is. And by the way, they say that women are starting to hit this like pretty much in their 40s, perimenopause. The messaging is brutal. Um, They're telling us that it's a time when you can expect all sorts of awful symptoms. It's a time to be dreaded. It's all downhill from here. You're not young anymore. And if you Google it, let me tell you a few, but if you Google symptoms, perimenopause, most of the time it'll come up with about 34 different symptoms. Let me depress you for a minute. Your skin will start to become crepey. You could have shorter periods or longer periods or lighter ones or heavier ones, so heavy that you can barely function. Your sleep will be interrupted. You might suffer anxiety, allergies, bloating, body odor changes, ew, brain fog, burning mouth, depression, digestive issues, dizziness, fatigue, electric shock syndrome, feelings of dread, hot flushes, hair changes, UTI, incontinence. That's a nice one. Let's start wetting our pants. Irregular heartbeat, irritability or rage, itchy skin, loss of libido, joint pain, muscle tension, night sweats. And guess what else? Let me add to it for you. Apparently, these symptoms can go on for 10 years. And then guys, we're almost there. I'm almost there with the depression. Hold on. Hold on because we're going to turn a corner. Now, menopause, this is the time when you can expect your body to really start failing you because we apparently are destined to suffer. You are going to have hot flushes, weight gain, brittle bones, increased risk of heart attack and cancer and more. And the only choice is to medicate our way through. Now, here's where it gets good. Okay. I've brought you, I've brought you low. I've brought you to the bottom because I want to tell you something, because this is all you're going to see and hear on socials. And, um, you know, if you, if you Google girls, there is another way. I started to look at this going, this can't be normal. I've really been thinking, you know, aren't all these natural times of life, right? That our bodies go through. Like when I was young, we all expected puberty might be a bit uncomfortable, but we all went through it and we knew we'd come out the other side and we were okay. Well, why isn't the stopping of our cycle, aka perimenopause and menopause, also a natural time of our life? Why is our body going to break and fail us? Why should our body break every month and fail us? It just didn't make sense to me. And so I've been hunting for another narrative. And at first I started going down the natural line. Oh, we'll just all use natural things to help us. But I was really surprised at what I found. And not only am I seeing a rise in expectation of suffering in menopause for 10 years, by the way, But like I said, I'm seeing a rise in expectation that all of us, that our younger girls will suffer during puberty and that all of us will suffer with PMS. 
Now, this is what I wanted. This is what I ask myself: Did God really design a natural process in order for us to suffer, or is this a social construct? Have we come to believe that we need to be medicated through every different season? Which really, these things are a rite of passage. They're a part of being a female. And I found what I've been looking for. Now, I'm going to tell you this lady, um, this particular, her, sorry, this particular lady's name. Her name is Tanya Elfersy, E like E-L-F, Elf, E-R-S-Y. If you want to explore her stuff more, you can. But I've heard her on several different podcasts. She's got um, a book out there as well. But she, um, that me discovering her helped me to really go down this line of, okay, there's got to be another way. And changing for her, changing her mindset actually helped her to heal her perimenopausal symptoms. And now she's helping women around the world in all stages of life. And I really think that there's a lot of merit in her message because I can see it also lines up with what God says. Um, and it's really about understanding the brilliance of our bodies. I mean, doesn't God say, you know, I made you in the womb, you were wonderfully and intricately made. Now, I don't believe that we're wonderfully and intricately made. And that only is something that we can say about ourselves when we're a baby or, you know, when we're pregnant or surely we can put that, what God says about our bodies on every single stage of our life. Now, Tanya points out the everyday miracles all around us that we take for granted. And this is so powerful. She talks about like a a tiny tomato seed. She's like one tiny tomato seed. If you just hold that thing in your hand, that's got all the knowledge packed into that little seed to create a fruitful, beautiful tomato plant. And of course, you know, we have to do something with that and we've got to put it in some soil and put it in the sun. We've got to water it. But nobody tells that seed what to do. All of the knowledge is sitting in there. And and she talks about how that's such a miracle. And then she flips that onto our bodies. She says, nobody speaks about the miracles that are our bodies. Nobody has to tell our bodies to develop from a baby to a toddler, to a girl, to a teenager, to a woman, to a mother. All that knowledge, like the tomato seed, it's stored within and it is released to perfection at exactly the right time without interference and without instruction. Our bodies, girls, are miraculous. Now, if you've had children, you get to see that all over again, how this tiny human grows inside of you and everything that that baby needs to grow is provided without us barely having to do a thing. And then we give birth. And then again, our bodies provide us with this milk that then sustains the baby. It's just incredible. Our bodies are not just miraculous when they give birth. Our bodies are miraculous when we're going through puberty. Our bodies are miraculous every time of the month. Our bodies are miraculous when we're going through the other end of our life, through perimenopause. Why would our bodies suddenly lose their magic when we hit puberty or menopause? My body, your body has always taken care of us. Does it not know what it's doing when it comes to our hormones? You know, she, she says in her book that without interference, nature always moves to create balance and harmony. And I love that. And then she puts that on, you know, if you put that quote against our bodies, that without interference, the nature, our bodies always move to create balance and harmony. 
Maybe we're interfering too much. We are born with an innate program that allows us to thrive at each stage of our lives. And just accepting that fact, she just literally has said it's been such a powerful thing in her life. Change is part of our body's design. Whether that change be puberty or pregnancy or menopause, we can trust our bodies. We can trust our incredible creator, God, who designed our bodies to intuitively know what to do. And we can lean into our bodies and and into our body's God-given wisdom and trust our bodies to lead us through all these natural processes. And she says that the results are incredible when we do this. And instead of fixating on symptoms or solutions, realize that our bodies, maybe they don't need fixing. So I've been watching, um, I'll talk about symptoms a little bit more in just a moment, but you guys probably know I love Call the Midwife. Like I binged probably every night almost, I would watch one episode and it's 12 seasons long. They're about to um, release their 13th season next year. But Call the Midwife takes you through the passage of time from 1950. 59, I think it is, through to 1969. And it's set in this little community um, town or village called Poplar. And um, it's it's quite low socioeconomic and it's centered around this small group of midwives, some who are, are nuns, but they're all midwives, they're all nurses. And they, along with the community doctor and pastor, look after everyone in the village. And it's just so beautiful. And of course, the show is centered around birthing all these babies. And um, it not only talks about that, but it obviously talks about other health issues as you go through the show. Like the doctor is so funny. The doctor always smokes until I think it's the early 60s when all of a sudden the messaging starts to change about smoking and the doctor's like, oh, like the doctor would literally, the midwives would would help birth the babies. The doctor wouldn't interfere. The doctor would sit with the husband in the waiting room and share a cigarette with him. That's how much times have changed. But anyway, so it's really interesting. But I love watching, it's so beautiful. I love watching how they help birth the babies like, of this, um, of this little town. And I love how things rolled before the interference of modern medicine. Now, modern medicine has brought so much to the table, but I think watching the show has just really made me realize that we can also have lost our way a little bit, that we started to interfere too much with human, the human body. And over and over and over, these midwives are attending these women. And the messaging that they always give to these women is, hey, your body is incredible. And they always say to them, your body knows just what to do right now. And we're here to help you. And I just think there's so much safety in that. There's so much power in that. They were constantly giving the mothers confidence in their body's natural processes. And that's really the message I want all of us to walk away with today. And I want you to share this with all of your girlfriends, that we can have confidence in our body's natural processes. We don't have to dread the next season or dread every month or whatever it might be. The human body is incredibly intuitive. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there might be an actual medical issue where we do need, obviously, some support. But um, Tanya Elfersley is basically, she points to the fact that symptoms can actually be gifts. Now, I know that symptoms don't feel like it at the time, but she said if we have symptoms, you know, whatever that might be, 
that the symptom really is our body messaging to us, hey, I need something from you right now. So think of like if we have a temperature, right? If we have a temperature, the temperature is not the problem. But yet we've tended to go, oh, I've got a temperature, I'll, I'll go and take some Panadol, right? We all tend to do that, or a lot of us do. But what we don't realize, and then we go about our day, our body, our temperature is A, our body's way of intuitively fixing what's wrong, and B, it's our body signaling to us, hey, I need you to rest right now, or I need you to drink some more fluids right now. I need you to slow down a little bit. Now, it's no different when it comes to all of you know our hormones or our cycle or menopause or whatever it might be, even being pregnant, that when we get symptoms, <clears throat> instead of fixating or labeling or medicating, what if instead we just notice and we accept and we tune into our bodies and go, okay, well, what does my body need from me right now? Because what this lady did is she started trying to... Um, to fix every symptom that she had. And she said it was like that game, you know, that game that you play when you go to like the the show, the Royal show, and you've got like a, like a hammer and the little squirrel or whatever it is keeps popping out and you've got to try and hit it on the head. She said, it's a bit like that. So all she had a different symptom. And so just as she was trying to fix one and she's really into natural stuff. So she'd try and fix it with one natural thing. Another symptom would pop out. And she was like, I just felt like I was hitting all of these little, you know, creatures on the head when instead I needed to go, hang on a second. My body's telling me something. That's why it's trying to give me symptoms to go, hey, and it might be that you need to change your diet. It might need, it might be that you need more sleep. It might be that you need to get out and get more sunshine. Because when you think about it, if we can tune in and and give our body what it needs, it's very similar to when teenagers do go through puberty. We all accept the fact and we allow them to sleep a lot more. Everyone knows. Oh, when kids are little, they wake up early. And then when they have um, become teenagers, they're going to start sleeping in. And we don't go in there. It's, well, I hope you don't. Parents, let your kids sleep. We don't go in there and wake them up. We let them sleep. Why? Because we know that they need more sleep because their bodies are changing. And that is a perfect example of what we should all be doing. We need to, you know, same with when we're pregnant. We know that a woman's body is changing rapidly. We give her space to rest more and put her feet up and maybe eat differently or eat more or whatever it might be. So why can't we take this same approach, nurture our bodies, lean in. And uh, according to Tanya, she's had so many women all around the world who have been able to, um, because they haven't become so hell-bent on fixing symptoms, but instead asking what does my body need right now? And also leaning in and trusting our bodies and trusting that their bodies know what to do to take them through the right process, that that women are just having incredible results with the end process being that the symptoms really have minimized themselves naturally. So you might be really surprised, but I think a new sense of trust in our bodies should emerge again. What do you reckon? Um, I'll finish off with this story. Um, You guys all know that I've got my beautiful little copper dog, Billy, who I adore her. And um, if you don't get dogs desexed early enough, they go, they they call it going on heat, right? A girl dog. Now, Billy's actually going to have a litter. She's going to have puppies. I'm working with the breeder. Um, And so I have to let her go on heat, which happens every six months. Anyway, 
and it's horrible. It is annoying. She has dog nappies, <laughs> the poor dog. But I, in light of everything that I've just told you, the other morning, she started whining in her pen at 4am in the morning. And it was so unusual. I was like, what is she doing? She never cries this early in the morning. And for a couple of days, she'd like been going to the toilet a lot. So I thought, oh, I better let her out, let her out to the toilet, came back in, put her to bed. A couple minutes later, she's whining again. I let her out. Same thing. Bring her back in. Third time, she's whining and crying again. Honestly, it was like having a toddler. In the end, I let her out. You don't want the details of what she did, but she had a very let's just say she had a very loose bound motion. And I'm like, is she sick? What's going on? In the end, I kept her out the pen. I kept her up with me in my lounge upstairs. She slept on the lounge. I slept next to her. Well, lo and behold, a few hours later, she went on heat. She got her cycle and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I watched her because I'm like, okay, she's a dog. She knows intuitively what to do. And she did. It was fascinating. She knows how to clean herself. Um, She's been sleeping heaps. She keeps coming to me for cuddles like all the time. And the other thing that she stopped doing is normally she runs up and down our fence with the dog next door. Now, the dog next door is a boy dog. They normally play for hours every day, running up and down. They just adore each other. But when she goes through her cycle, she doesn't do that. She stops. She literally might go over, say a quick hi to him, and then she comes back inside. And I'm going, oh my gosh, she is so intuitive. She knows just what to do. I don't have to fix her. I don't have to interfere. She's a dog other than putting a nappy on her because I don't want it all inside. Um, And so I just thought, anyway, I really believe that we can learn a lot from animals. Um, And so I just thought that was incredible that at the same time I was researching this, that happened. And so I had a little story to tell you guys. Anyway, I hope that this has helped you. If you would like to learn a bit more about it, look up this woman, Tanya Elfersi. Um, I follow her on Twitter. I also follow her on Facebook. She's not on Instagram. She's got a book out. But even if you pop into this podcast, you put her name in, she'll come up in all sorts of podcasts where you can hear her talk about this. And she'll take you through a lot more of the details. I've obviously given you a quick recap about what she says. But I just think it it was just such a beautiful takeaway that girls, we don't have to dread that we can actually trust our bodies to take us through each passage of time. I love you all. I hope that's helped. Have there been any brave boys that have listened to the end? I doubt it. I reckon I would have lost them at the word menses. <laughs> anyway, guys, I love you girls. I love you so much. Can't wait to be back with you next week. I'll see you then. Bye.